Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone episode 9. Today's episode we will focus on BPD or Borderline Personality Disorder. I am your host Joe Ambridge and I am here with psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and my co-host Mark Fielding. Hi Mark. Hey Joe, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, so BPD is Borderline Personality Disorder and is a topic we try to cover in the video podcast but bit of confusion with the guests we had on. I think it was bipolar. We'd never really covered it properly, so we are revisiting it today. Um, now, today's episode is a bit different. We don't have an actual guest like we did on, um, which is like a similar format to we had on the first episode where we don't have a guest. It's just me and Mark talking as we struggled to find someone with BPD to come and talk about it. Um, and as I have borderline personality disorder myself, I will be sharing my story and Mark will be asking me questions. Um, anyway, yeah, so I'll get into <laughs> a little bit about my BPD. Um, mm. So BPD is something that I haven't always been diagnosed with. Originally, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression and um, I was just medicated for both and I've had stints in mental health psych, uh, mental health ward for a couple of days because of uh, suicidal thoughts and uh, I was having random mood swings where I'd go from zero to a hundred where one minute I'm really happy and next minute the tiniest little thing would trigger me into a mood swing and I'd storm off and I just wouldn't my head was all over the place um, and it was just happening constantly like the mind minor little things, tiniest bit of criticism I couldn't take. And we didn't know what was causing it. We thought it was related to the anxiety and the depression. And I changed my medication and it helped for a little bit. But I was still having mood swings. Um, and then I got referred to a psychiatrist by my doctor, who's a really nice doctor, and was kind of lucky to find someone that was from the UK over here in Australia. Um, he referred me to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist did all these tests and everything, and it turned out I didn't have bipolar, which we originally thought I had, but I had borderline personality disorder. And they medicated me and put me on mood stabilizers because um, I was also having seizures, which were anxiety-related, which generally happened at night time, and would happen when I was out of my comfort zone. So when I was with my ex-girlfriend, every time I kind of slept around her house or we were all away or anything, I was having seizures. And the first few times I slept at my current partner's house, when we first started seeing each other, I was having seizures as well. We didn't know what was causing them or why they were happening. I was aware that it had happened. Um, and when I was in the mental health ward after having my breakdown a couple of years ago they said there was panic attacks but once we spoke to the psychiatrist like a year or two late I think yeah two years oh a year later um the psychiatrist said they were anxiety related seizures which are quite common with people with anxiety or can happen to people with anxiety um but I'm now on mood stabilizers which help with anxiety or with the BPD and the seizures um it worked for a little while, and then I think I got up the dose because I wasn't sleeping either. Um, but yeah, that's really my story. I'm kind of in a good place mentally now. But uh, I do 
and I think I cope a lot better with the medication I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the this the, just the, the, the seizures, Joe. I mean, that's, you know, with with the, it takes a lot. You know, often takes a long time to diagnose. I think BPD doesn't it. So initially, you know, diagnosed as you know anxiety and depression, and then you you kind kind of trying to manage it through that lens. But the seizures, I mean, that must have been terrifying for you. Not yeah. knowing what was what was causing them. Originally, I thought they were just body spasms or something, or muscle contractions, and because my body would ache a lot afterwards, but we didn't know what was causing them. I thought it was panic attacks. And my mum, who's a nurse, and she works with people with, uh, who are special, specialised in mental health, um, she said to my partner, if I have seizures, kind of film them to kind of then my mum try and figure out what they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I noticed obviously a common theme with what was causing them where if I was outside my comfort zone, it was that would be when they were having happened the most. Um, yeah, so what, what kind of so outside your comfort zone, Joe? What, what, what kind of scenarios? Well, they first started happening when I was with my ex girlfriend. Um, we, I stayed at her house one night and, I, or whenever we went round to her house, occasionally I'd have a seizure or when we went away, we went on a trip up to Manchester and we came, we went on night out and then we went back to the hotel and I was having bad seizures. Um, but I was aware they were happening. I just didn't know what was causing them. And then when I originally moved to Australia, I was having them. I, didn't have them as much at home with my parent at my parents' house. Um, occasionally, when my part my current partner stayed over at my parents' house, I'd have one or two every so often, but not as common. But um, obviously, the doctor in the mental health ward, or before I got checked into the mental health ward a couple of years ago, he said there were panic attacks, and we kind of brushed them off and thought, oh, "Okay, maybe there's panic attacks." Yeah. That's what it says that they are. Um, and then obviously he mentioned it to the psychiatrist when I went to go and figure out what was causing my mood swings and causing me to just fluctuate up and down with my mood. And she said, yes, there's seizures and they can be common with people with anxiety and for people with BPD. So, so I guess some of the triggers from what you're saying, were, you know, when, when you're kind of out of your comfort zone, like you say, in different surroundings, when, you know, your anxiety levels are going to go up a little bit anyway because there's a you know there's a there's a lack of familiarity, but then the intensity of the effect kind of pulling you into really really extreme anxiety and panic attacks. I mean, so, you know, so difficult, such a difficult thing I think to manage. And you talked about the kind of suicidal ideation, Joe, and that's really common. I think you know with our, with kind of a host of. Um, kind of mental health um, kind of diagnoses, you know, really quite common with BPD. I mean, just, uh, could you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, what, what yeah. was that like? And, I mean, that must have been, you know, again, obviously really difficult time for you. Yeah, well, I think it was the first, like, major one where I really felt like I was going to go through with doing it. It hadn't been for my sister-in-law crying and stuff. I messaged her and just said that I was going to do it. It's probably looking back, it was quite a selfish thing to do, but at the same time, could have been brave because it stopped me from doing what I was going to do. 
but seeing her cry kind of stopped me. But at the same time, I just didn't feel mentally stable or safe around myself. That um, went into the mental health clinic just for precaution, um, and was observed for three three nights, um, which I really just didn't like at all. I didn't want to be in there. I just didn't feel safe because there was people in there that were worse than me, and kind of I didn't feel safe. I just wanted to be out there. And I was quite stressed. I just wasn't myself for ages. Um, my anxiety was, like, really high. Um, the only difference being that I was in the hospital, so they were giving me stuff like Valium and stuff to kind of calm me down. Um, I'd had stuff previously where, before I'd even got diagnosed with anxiety where I'd self-harmed and stuff. Because mm. when I was with my first girlfriend and when we broke up, I didn't take it very well. And it took me a while to get over liking her and I was breaking up so mm. I didn't know how to handle that sort of stuff because I'd never been through it before and was self-harming that like my parents only found, found out about after I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression mm. um, but there was other times where I felt like it was the only way like the only answer was to end my life so I didn't have to put up with any more pain or mm. the stress or anything um, but never really followed through with it. So, like, the incident that happened, like, three years ago, it's probably the closest where I really felt like I was going to do something and I felt like the only way I was going to be safe is if I was somewhere around professional help. But it's almost as if the, the kind of, you know, the pain you were feeling just became so overwhelming that I guess at that time that looked like the only way to, to, to stop the pain. Yeah. It was almost like my brain was like, what's the way out? How's this going to end? And I don't know how to deal with it. Um, and because I was out here on my own and I barely really knew my partner's family. Um, they'd only been here a few months and I was just like, I don't know what to do. How am I going to deal with this? There's no one here. There's no, my friends aren't here, so I can't just go out for a drink with my friends and talk, talk about it. I can't just go home. It's not around the corner. It was like the thought of having to go back to London if anything did happen. It was uh, it was just really stressful and stuff, and I just felt numb. I just wanted that yeah. to end. And I, and I guess it's feeling kind of isolated. Well, I'm kind of feeling very isolated at that time. I mean, normally you'd have, I guess you did reach out to your sister-in-law, but normally you'd have reached out to friends. Yeah, I think before like previous times where. If I was back in London before I met a partner and there was times where I felt like that, I'd speak to my friends about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was quite lucky that I had quite a close group of friends. I still do, but obviously the other side of the country and we have the issue with time difference as well. Yeah. But it's a lot harder to just call someone or meet up with them because I can't see anyone. Um, and I kind of, yeah. I'm kind of lucky in the situation where I've got a group of friends now. They're not as close as the ones I've had before. So I've had years of friendship with the ones that I've got in London, whereas these ones I've only known a couple of years and I know them because I do film stuff with them. Yeah. And, and I guess the, re you know, the reaching out, I think, is so important, the talking about how you're feeling. I mean, obviously not everybody has the opportunity or has a, has a friendship group that they can do that. You know, but I guess because you've moved country, you know, your friendship group wasn't available. And so yeah. you were just trying to deal with it all internally which is really, really difficult. You know, there is just something about the talking about it that I think maybe kind of takes some of the energy 
you know, yeah. of, of, of you know, away. But you know, but you were really, really isolated at that time. And I guess you've had you'd had to deal with this for a long time, really. Yeah, I kind of felt like I was. Uh, um. Because when I moved here originally, I'd only just finished. I'd had a breakdown the year year before I moved here, mm. and it was not that long before I met my partner that I'd had my breakdown. So I'd had loads of issues at work, um, and I was quite stressed and everything, and everything just got too much. And I think I can't remember which way around it was, but I think I'd been ill like the week before or something with start like gastritis or something, and then I was. Supposed to go back to work, and I think I got two days into work, and everything because I fell out with one of my really close friends, and I worked for my really close friend, so it was really hard to be at work and not have that friendship there anymore. Um, and felt like everyone was talking about me all the time, and I had the breakdown, and then I was off work for another week or like a couple of days, um, and then I met my partner like a couple of weeks, like a week or so later, and then. I finished therapy like the week before I moved to Australia or something, or the month before I moved to Australia. So I don't know if I was quite completely recovered mentally. Um, so I was kind of like a ticking time bomb and I didn't realize that uh, I wasn't dealing with my mental health as well as I should have been. Um, and also that um, my medication wasn't working and I kind of, had that block in my brain where I couldn't communicate that I wasn't myself and I didn't know that's what was causing me to feel like that. Mm. Um, and then obviously beginning some big thing happened and then I just went overboard and was suicidal really. Yeah. I mean, you just completely overwhelmed. I mean, I, yeah. guess, I mean, I get the, the kind of emotional, instability and you know emotions changing really really quickly i mean that is also you know really common with 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 bpd i mean just for the listeners joe how can you explain that i mean that the people can understand because it the emotions changing really really quickly as you kind of described earlier you know incredibly difficult i mean what was your experience of it it's hard to kind of describe it's kind of like a I'd be happy and then the tiniest little thing like a criticism or uh, a breakup or something kind of flick that switch and mm. all of a sudden all my emotions and thoughts kind of, it's like uh, a washing machine or something or a tumble dryer and the thoughts are just going round and round and round and round really fast and then I go from zero which would be extremely happy to a hundred which is like frustrated and unreasonable and not wanting to like couldn't function to the point where I wouldn't listen to what anyone was saying everything was um say someone said something about I don't know um not having a job or something like what are you going to do about having a job it'd be automatically I'm trying why is this person attacking me whereas a normal person like okay maybe I've got to show that I'm working for a job. My automatic thoughts would go to, why is this person attacking me? Like, I'm trying, but to the extreme, and I'd storm off or I'd lose my temper. Yeah. And that would happen quite often, like tiny criticism or a minor inconvenience or something, and my emotions just go over the top 
um, and it just wasn't normal. And like, even though I was diagnosed a couple of years ago, it's hard to tell how long I'd had BPD. Obviously, before I got diagnosed, I did have it, but I don't know how long. Um, but looking back now, it kind of a lot of it's noticeable, like some of the traits and stuff from previous. But only I'd say only in like loss from adulthood, maybe. Has it been helpful having the you know having the framework to kind of look at what's been going on through? You know, did, did it did it help you make sense of it when you know the diagnosis fi- finally came? Yeah, uh, definitely made things add up a lot. Like originally, we thought I had bipolar, and my mum thought I had bipolar, mm-hmm. um, and obviously. Also, because I've got dyspraxia, I thought maybe it might relate be related to that because that can affect your emotions as well. But when I said it was borderline personality disorder, it kind of made sense because there's a lot of I definitely had a lot of self esteem issues and didn't take criticism very well. Um, and a lot of the traits that they mentioned were like easy, easily recognizable by then. Yeah. And it was nice to kind of have an answer to kind of build on to go in the direction to get better. Yeah. And yeah. I feel probably now I'm probably better at coping with things and handling things, even if it's a minor criticism. I'm definitely probably a lot better at um, recognising if I'm overreacting or stuff, or it will take me a little while sometimes, and then a few minutes later I'll come back and I'll apologise or I'll walk away from the situation. Um, I, at the time, they obviously referred me back to my psych, psychologist, and I was sort of seeing them for a bit. I haven't seen them for a while, but um, I'm probably in a better place mentally to deal with stuff than I was before. How do you how do you deal with the triggers then, Joe? So you, I guess you're there, there are triggers, and you know often those triggers are kind of interpersonal triggers. You know, feeling rejected, or you know everything that you said. How do you cope with them now? So you cope much better now, but what what do you do? I think with now, like I kind of remind myself sometimes, like if someone's saying something about, I know, say someone's like, obviously now I have a job, but I didn't have a job before. Every time someone said, oh, to my partner or my partner brought up, someone's asking why you don't have a job or what you're doing about having a job. In my head originally, I'd be like, oh, that person's attacking me. Yeah. And lose my temper now. I'm just like in my head. I know I'm looking for a job and I'm doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I might overreact every so often, but not as much. Or I'll notice straight away when I've overreacted and walk away from the situation and calm down and think about things. Or so- sometimes, if my partner's been distant before, I used to take that really personally. Now, but sometimes I do. But at the same time, sometimes I just remind myself that. It's not me. That's not the mm. issue. And um, I did do a self-esteem workshop before I moved back to Australia originally and before I was diagnosed with BPD. And I noticed a lot of things about myself, like how with some of my friendship groups, I kind of accepted the way they spoke about me sometimes, even if it wasn't very nice. Mm. And kind of just brushed it off just because I wanted to have friends. And then after, because once I moved to Australia, I fell out with quite a few people because they just didn't stay in contact. And then when I went back to London after my breakdown, they didn't make the effort with me. And after doing the self-esteem workshop, I kind of kind of saw myself worth a bit more and kind of saw 
some of the things they said to me or the way they treated me sometimes wasn't the way your friends should treat people and that maybe I was better off without them. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so putting in, so, so I guess you you put in some boundaries, you know, your, your self-esteem, yeah. the self-esteem workshop, you know, and kind of all the inner work you've done. I mean, you've clearly done so much inner work that you just thought, okay, these friendships are not, they're not good. They're destructive. They're not, you know, they're not nurturing friendships. And then, so you put some boundaries in and I guess that, you know, it is, that's your self-esteem coming up, isn't it? I'm not going to put up with these behaviors anymore. Yeah. I feel like I'm a lot more open about my feelings now as well. Mm. If someone's, upset at me or uh, I'm upset about something or I'm frustrated about something or stressed, I'll tell someone and we mm. deal with it. Because before I'd kind of keep it to myself and then if someone, the tiniest little inconvenience or someone saying something would tip me overboard. Because yeah. now I'm kind of a lot more open and a lot more content with myself. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think the, you know, the internalising kind of piece, you know, I mean, people internalise, you know, a lot of people have that that coping strategy. But, you know, I think it, it, it works and it works and it works until it doesn't really. And it's, yeah. I think the shadow side, it's just quite easy to to get completely overwhelmed. You internalise, internalise, and then one day it's impossible to internalise anymore. And then mental health gets really dysregulated. So, I mean, the opening up and talking to people, you know, it's difficult, you know. I mean, it's really difficult to open up and talk to people, but it, it's really helpful, Joe, isn't it? just to open stuff up to people. Yeah, it's kind of odd as well, like having BPD and knowing my traits and stuff. I can see it in other people sometimes as well. They've got similar mm. traits. Like one of my friends, I didn't know this about him until like I went back to London and we went out one day and he told me that his mum had said that he'd been diagnosed with personality disorder as a child. Um, and a lot of his behaviours kind of add up to the traits. Mm. Um, and I definitely think things over before I react some a lot more than I used to. I mean, I, I guess I'm hearing that as mindfulness, really. So, so yeah. previous, so previously, and like, correct me if this is, you know, if I'm completely wrong, but from what you're saying, I'm, I'm hearing that there's this kind of space around the emotions, whereas previously, the emotion comes and you just act on it. So, if you feel angry, you'll act out the anger. But now the anger will come and there'll be a little bit of space around it. You'll maybe take yourself off and think, oh, okay, should I be feeling angry? And you'll just bring your kind of, you know, executive function of your brain online and just have a look. Whereas, you know, previously the emotion would just take you over. Yeah. And I think the other thing, especially in relation to what's going on in the world at the moment, like COVID and stuff, it was first panic like at first i was panicking like, oh God, like this is going to delay me getting it because at the time i didn't have a job and i was thinking oh this is going to delay me even further from getting a job or i'm i'm going to get no income support or anything from government because i wasn't a citizen um i thought oh i'm just gonna stress me out a lot and it will help be harder to handle but i feel like people with mental health are better prepared for these sort of things so that people that already have it because we're used to the worst case scenario. Because you think about it, some people think about it like most of the time or you analyse the situation and you think of the worst case scenario automatically. So something like lockdown, people that have already been diagnosed with mental health issues or anxiety are probably the ones that 
like have coped better than those that haven't already been diagnosed. Um, and I think in my case that's true because I, I'm not really that much affected by lockdown, other than that I now can't work even though I've just started a job. But I know it's not things will get better, we'll eventually be out of lockdown, but it's for the yeah. safety of us of the population and stuff. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I was just going to jump, jump in and say, you know, I, I really like what you say, you know, because, you know, often I think, you know, there's always almost like a, an association with old people that experience mental health issues and not resilient. But people that, you know, often, I mean, people that have experienced mental health issues in, your li- in their lives are very resilient because they've had to deal with so much. And in dealing with so much, there's quite a lot of growth comes out of it. I guess that's what you're saying, Joe. You're kind of better prepared because you've had to deal with so much already in your life. You're better prepared to deal with this, to deal with the whole COVID pandemic. Oh, definitely. Like I'm, I'm in a situation where I can't see. All I've got is my fam, my family here, my partner's family. Mm-hmm. I can't even see my friends here, which was um, before. Like I didn't have a friendship group when I first moved out here, and then now I've got my film people who I see a bit more regularly, but obviously because of lockdown, I can't see them now which is hard enough because I can't see my friends in London, I can't see my family in London, and now I can't see my friends here. So it's not like I can divert that time I would have with my friends in London if we were, if I was over in England, whereas, oh, sorry, it's hard, hard to explain what I was going to say, but like the time I would spend with my friends, like we'd go to the pub and stuff during the weekend and, yeah. My time that I spend with my friends here would be like going to filmmaking or would go to the pub when we'd finish filming or filming cancelled, we'd go to go have a drink or do something else. Um, and I have that friendship group here now that I didn't have before where I was worse off mentally. But because of lockdown, I don't, I can't <laughs> see them. And we can't really, I can't see, really see my girlfriend's family either, it's, which I think I'm coping with a lot better than I thought it would. It's hard hard enough that I can't see my family or friends in London not knowing when I'm going to see them again because of COVID and all like the travel the planes and flights being cancelled or whatever um, so now I can't see people that I actually live near or or friends with here so I definitely feel like I'm coping <laughs> although it's hard sometimes yeah. I definitely feel like I'm coping better than I thought I would and I think that's to do with being through worse situations like yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, I resonate with anything you say, Jay. I mean, there's, there's this concept of growth, tra- post-traumatic growth, growth through trauma, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, through suffering comes personal growth often, often when people suffer, you know, there's, there's you know, the, the positive side, if I can suggest as a positive side is, personal growth and I guess this is you know what this is what you're saying Joe I wanted it's a bit of a jump I wanted to ask about your experience with medication and just what you know where you've been I know you've tried different things kind of over the years and what's been your experience with like the medical profession and medication oh it's been an interesting one obviously um because I didn't get diagnosed with anxiety till I was I think now 23 it would have been 2014 mm-hmm. so about seven years ago yeah about 23 um 
they put me on propanolol at the start, and then I started having heart issues because of propanolol because it was I was having an increased heart rate to the point where one of the days I nearly ended up in hospital because my heart rate was so high. Um, and then I got put on I'm trying to think what I was on after uh, Cetralin, I think I was on, oh, but okay. didn't. When I moved to, that was what I was on when I moved to Australia and it just wasn't working. So they then put me on metazapine. And then once I got diagnosed with BPD, I got put on to lamotrigine. Um, and then now I'm on Seroquel because the lamotrigine wasn't working anymore. Okay. Um, well, but, yeah. So just um, what, what do you say? I mean, I know, I, you know, the propanopole, I can never say that word, but it, it kind of regulates, you know, your, your heart, doesn't it, and tries to regulate the anxiety. And then the sertraline is an antidepressant. <clears throat> the metazapine is also an antidepressant, but really helps with sleep. But but yeah. what about the other two, Joe? I mean, just for the for the listeners, I mean, what, what what are they and what what do they do? Uh, the lamotrigine and well, what I was on before was mood stabilizers and they use them for children that have got seizures as well to mm. kind of stop seizures from happening. But I'm now on Seroco, which is on a different different brand, I think. Mm. Um, and that's just to kind of stabilize my mood and also stop the seizures from happening as well. Mm. Um, and so um, the Cetralin, I think, is quite similar to Metazapine. I think it's just a antidepressant hmm. well what, what does it i mean what does it feel like i mean this is probably impossible for you to answer but yeah so what you are now is, is really helping to manage manage your moods i mean what what's what does it seem to give you so i mean what, what's what's the what's the feeling if you feel i feel like, like it kind of mellows me out a little bit like because yeah. i take both of my medication i take before i go to sleep um because I was, I still am now, but I was having trouble sleeping. And I think it was because I was the dosage I was on of, my, of the mood stabilizers. Mm. Um, but I take both of them before I go to sleep and it kind of just mellows me out, makes me drowsy. Um, before it's kind of balanced my mood out. When I first went on it, I was just really happy and energetic when I first mm. went on the mood stabilizers. Um, and now that I've been on them a while, it kind of just keeps my mood balanced. I kind of more more have uh, have more similar moods to like a normal person with that didn't have mental health issues. So it really kind of helps you regulate the the I don't know the mood kind of instability that was there before. Yeah. And leaves you feeling like, like I don't know, kind of chilled out, really. I don't know, a lot more relaxed. I guess your anxiety levels are, are really reduced. Yeah. The only time I really get anxious sometimes there are new situations. Like if I start a new job, I'm a bit anxious at the start. But unless I'm used to doing what I was already doing. Like I worked in uh, a bakery over Christmas and my anxiety was really bad and stuff. Because I didn't feel like I was good at it, whereas like I worked in a cafe, and because I'd done cafe work before, I kind of was used to doing it. And I was used mm. to the pace, so I didn't get stressed out as easily. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a new, the new experience. Yeah, 
So the new experiences can bring a little bit of anxiety. Which, which I guess is kind of, I mean, I guess that's similar for, for most people. I guess it's, it's maybe slightly more pronounced for, for you from what you're saying, but I guess new experience for many people can produce a bit of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and in terms of psychologists and stuff I've had with health professionals, mm. it's been a bit up and down. Like I saw when I first got diagnosed with anxiety and depression, I went to, I think it was CAMS for a bit um, in Mitcham in London. And that really helped having someone to talk talk to. And I felt like I was just handling things a lot better. Um, and then the second time before I moved to Australia, I was on online therapy, which was a bit different. And it was kind of easy because it was more allotted to my own time. Like it wasn't when the therapist was free, it was more, I could do evening calls and stuff and you just type and what you could express yourself a bit more because you could type more about what you're thinking. It's you feel like when you're talking face to face, sometimes you forget what you want to say. Yes. Yeah. You can type down what you want to, obviously some people write down what they want to say, but I feel like when you're typing, you can type everything you want to say in like one paragraph and stuff and then cope with it one by one i i got certain like worksheets and stuff on that i had to do each week on coping mechanisms and stuff and obviously the second time i saw a psychologist here who i didn't really like very much because it was a free psychologist and i didn't think she was very good and then seeing i saw a was seeing a lady called karen here who was really good and like really like you could say what you want and I just felt so relaxed with her and unjudged and stuff. I felt like the other one was kind of judged me a little bit. The one that I saw the first time I moved here was the okay. second time around. The lady was just so good at understanding and helping me cope and give me little goals to uh, reach towards. And then when I was back in London, I did six weeks online. She was teach me things of how to stop myself and how I break down again because obviously that's why I moved back to London and preparing to move back to Australia the second time. And then I did a self-esteem workshop because they said to me, look, it looks like you have self-esteem issues that are underlying that you need to relate, like deal with. And I didn't realise that was an issue with myself until I did the workshop and that really helped. I kind of valued myself a lot more and losing friends wasn't that I lost didn't seem to bother me as much. Like I just brushed it off and I was a lot felt like I could cut people out of my life a lot better. Like I didn't let people treat me um unfairly and stuff. I mean I guess all of the things you've done, all of the, you know, all of the work you've done, I guess has really, really helped you. I mean, I guess the, the relationship with the therapist is one of the most important things. Yeah. I'm kinda of interested in the yeah, I mean, so you were doing the text therapy, was it or email? I mean that really worked for you from what you're saying. It was a bit like a chat room, a bit like MS like Facebook Messenger or something, but mm. you'd text talk. Um and then I, I've used, like, the online stuff, like Beyond Blue, which is, like, an Australian one where they're open between a certain amount of times and you can talk to them, and it's free. And they just help – they they just sit and chat to you and stuff. If you have any any issues or anything, it'll tell you how to cope with things. Mm. Um, and uh, I haven't seen anyone recently, like, last few years because of COVID and stuff, that I've just been referred to a new one 
um because i've signed up with a company called wise who help people with mental health find work and mm. they referred me to a new psychologist to a new psychologist which I haven't started yet and so went for them to call me about an appointment because we're a lot down i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon mm. but i'm starting a new one soon it was uh, be interesting because i'm not paying for this one but their wise will pay for it so it's still paid therapy even though i'm not paying for it so hopefully it's as good as the pay therapist that i was seeing before Oh, that, that, that's really good. I mean, how do you see the difference between kind of mental, mental health services in, in Australia and the UK? Um, I think the waitlist in the UK is ridiculous, ridiculously long for people, especially considering what a big issue mental health is. I was kind of lucky when I had my breakdown a couple of years ago, two years ago, that I was only on the waitlist for like, I went and saw an emergency one and then I had to wait like a month or something. And before that, I waited the first time around. I wasted, oh, something I waited for now, maybe three months. Um, whereas here, because you're paying for it, you get seen straight away. You don't have to wait long. I mean, three months is a long time for somebody to wait, yeah. isn't it? Who, who is, you know, in crisis. Yeah. You, know, and you want to see someone straight but, away, don't you? But the, the online one wasn't too long because it's probably easier to organise because you don't have to book to go in and stuff because it's online. I didn't have to wait that long to do it. I signed myself up for it. The second time, um, a couple of years ago, I signed up for it. I was doing that for six weeks. Um, and then when I went back to London, I signed myself up and then the doctor, I can't remember, the doctor referred me to Oh, no, I did the online one, and then the I can't remember what the company's called now. They're in the UK, and they referred me to uh, the self-esteem one. But the wait's not as long here because you're paying for it, so you pretty much get ahead of the waiting list, yeah. which is a lot I mean, better. Yeah, I mean, the, the waiting list here, I think, is just getting worse and worse, really, uh, as far as I can see. But, yeah. Yeah, so so, so you get to see someone a little bit quicker. You know, you're paying for it in Australia. Yeah. yeah. We have to call and arrange appointments and stuff, but, like, you get straight in quite quickly. Um, I'm waiting on the one I'm at now, but that was because why it took so long to organise that. Um, but hopefully I'll be seeing them soon. Um, and hopefully I have the a bit of a a good relationship with this psychologist as I did with my other one that I was seeing before, because like because I wasn't working, I couldn't go see the one that you used to see regularly because it was quite expensive. Even though you get a bit of a medical rebate back, it was still quite expensive for someone that wasn't working. Whereas I'm now seeing someone that the company I got my job through uh, are paying for. Hopefully it'll be similar in that I get a high quality of like standard of therapy. Yeah, they actually and help. It, yeah, and and it is you know I mean, this is obvious, but it is essential, isn't it? That you know, I mean, as a therapist, I've had you know years of therapy. You know, you you do when when you do this kind of job. You know, and it is so important to find somebody that you know that you like, that you feel comfortable to talk to. You know, it's just essential, isn't it? Really, in terms of your healing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I cope a lot better now without having to see someone, but I think that's because I'm more open about my feelings than I was before. Yeah. And I've got better ways to cope. 
Yeah. 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 Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just going to ask you about what what other kind of coping strategies work. I guess we've talked about. I mean, I guess I labelled it mindfulness, but you know, I guess we've talked about kind of managing the emotions. And I mean, what 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 other stuff do you do to you know what what are your other coping strategies? I think recently I've started writing goals down to aim towards. Um, I think having a job now has helped a lot with some of the issues I had before mm. um, because it's resolved a lot of the issues I had, like money-wise and stuff in relationships with some people have eased up a lot. Um, mm. uh, stuff I probably can't really talk about on the podcast because <laughs> I don't want sure. it to come back, back to me, but... Um, Relationships a lot better with some people. My relationship with my partner is a lot better because I'm able to pay for stuff. But writing goals down and one that my mum told me, but I haven't done yet. Um, so writing things that you like and putting it in a jar, and then when you're feeling down or something, picking out like the stuff out of the jar, and then doing something like I've got dogs, so put my dog's name in the jar, and if I put my dog's name out, go and walk them or play with them just to kind of get your mind off of the stress or your anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing for other people to do as well. You're struggling with stuff, especially during lockdown. Like if you like going walking, put stuff like walks in the jar or yeah. with me, photography is a massive stress release for me. Cause I feel like I'd thrown out from the world and filmmaking for me as well. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about your creativity. I mean, because yeah, that that's a big part of who you are, Joe, isn't it? I mean, I yeah. guess that really helps having that focus. Doing this podcast as well helps a lot because it helps you learn about other people and knows. Uh, kind of makes you realise that you're not the only people with mental health issues, and especially the response we have when we look for guests for the podcast, it makes you realise there's loads of people with these issues, and. There's different ways to cope, and I think doing this podcast kind of shows there's different ways to cope. Everyone copes differently. Not everyone's medicated, as we saw last week with Jeremy. Mm. But, um, it's just really interesting to do the podcast. I think that helps a lot with my own mental health and doing the films. Like, yeah. Just me and actually me too and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, with, with yeah, I mean, absolutely hear that. You know, and, and I guess the you know the creativity. You know, you're a really creative person. You're being creative. I mean, that is also going to be really good. I mean, I think one of our guests on the video um, podcast, I think it was Jason, was saying we all have mental health. You know, and that is so true. You know, I mean, it would, you know, we we all have mental health. We all have you know our own stuff to deal with. You know, and kind of being in, you know, to share my own personal experience. You know, having having had years of personal therapy. I mean, I look back and it's really helped me, you know, exploring, you know, things that have gone on and learning coping strategies and, you know, and it's really, really beneficial. And we all have mental health. Everyone's got something that they're dealing with, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, we'll wrap up there because we're nearly running out of time. But um, thank you, Mark, for (laughs) hosting today. Um, Next week, we'll be doing an episode on suicide, which is a topic I've wanted to touch on for a while. And we've got a guest coming to talk about his personal experience with suicide. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll be revisiting men and mental health. Uh, a close friend of mine is going to come and chat on the podcast about his own mental health journey and his thoughts on the male population in relation to mental health. And um, But anyway, thank you for listening to everyone and thank you again mark for helping host no problem good to talk to you joe thank you and see you next week
See you next week. Take care.